I want, I want, I want me, 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 mine, 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 now, now, now. You know you're responsible for what you hear. You know you're responsible for what you hear. And welcome to Thoughts from Meharry Head, the podcast where I talk about, well, whatever happens to be bouncing around inside my head at the moment, but mostly focusing on constitutional issues and political decentralization. This is episode 144 of Thoughts from Meharry Head, and I appreciate you tuning in. This week, I'm going to talk about the nullification crisis of 1833. So I've got a pretty cool thing that's coming up. Uh, I've been invited to participate in a documentary that's being produced by the Federalist Society on three constitutional crises. And in particular, I'm going to be focusing on the nullification crisis of 1833. And so I've been getting ready for that interview. It's coming up in a couple of weeks. So I've been going over notes and doing some research. And I thought, you know, this would make a really good episode of the podcast because If you are at all interested in nullification, if you particularly are involved in the nullification movement today, you believe in what we're doing at the 10th Amendment Center to roll back federal power, it's very important to understand this historical event. Because if you ever learned anything about nullification when you were in high school or in college in your history classes, this is the event that you probably learned about. And Because this is the most well-known nullification episode, it has perpetuated a lot of myths in today's nullification movement. Um, So I'm going to cover a couple of those, and I'm also just going to give an overview of this, uh, this whole event. So I want to start just by setting aside the first myth that we often hear about the nullification crisis, and that is that it had something to do with slavery. This is primarily perpetuated due to the fact that John C. Calhoun was a central figure in this nullification crisis, and Calhoun was an unapologetic slaver, and it involved South Carolina, and it was close to the time of the Civil War, so obviously it had to have something to do with slavery because God knows everything was about slavery, right? Actually, this had nothing to do with slavery. Uh, It was all about a tariff. In 1828, Congress passed a tariff that was meant to protect northern industrialists who were struggling to compete against low-cost imported goods from Europe. Now, southerners were opposed to this tariff in general because it raised the prices of goods that were imported into southern states, retaliatory tariffs. Uh, These were things they could not manufacture for themselves. And it also indirectly hurt the southern agrarian economy by reducing cash available for the English to purchase southern cotton. Opposition for this tariff was widespread in 
almost all of the southern states, but opposition was particularly fierce in South Carolina. In fact, Southerners dubbed this the Tariff of Abominations. Now, opponents claimed that the Tariff of 1828 was unconstitutional because it was designed to benefit only certain sections of the country to the detriment of others. So, a great deal of advantage to northern states, which were primarily uh, industrialized economies, and it hurt southern states. So in other words, they believed that this represented an actual violation of the General Welfare Clause, that the tariff was being used in such a way that it was not to the general welfare of the entire country, that it benefited one section. Now, Calhoun was vice president at the time, and he was a staunch opponent of this tariff, and he secretly wrote a pamphlet entitled The South Carolina Exposition and Protest. I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes page. He laid out the case against the tariff, arguing that tariff power was only rightly used for raising revenue, not for benefiting and boosting up uh, one section of the economy. He also claimed that South Carolina had the ultimate authority to nullify this unconstitutional tariff. He wrote, if it be conceded, as it must be by everyone who is the least conversant with our institutions, that the sovereign powers delegated are divided between the general and the state governments, and that the latter hold their portion by the same tenure as the former, it would seem impossible to deny to the states the right of deciding on the infractions of their powers and the proper remedy to be applied for their correction. The right of judging in such cases is an essential attribute of sovereignty of which the states cannot be divested without losing their sovereignty itself and being reduced to a subordinate corporate condition. So the tariff's effect on the Southern economy proved to be as disastrous as the Southerners predicted. England, not surprisingly, reduced cotton imports, and Southern states were forced to purchase manufactured goods at higher prices from Northern U.S. manufacturers. In 1932, Calhoun resigned as vice president, and he filled an open seat in the Senate. That same year, Congress passed the Tariff of 1832, but it really didn't do anything to relieve the burden on southern states. So in response, South Carolina elected delegates to a special convention, and on November 24th, the convention ratified the South Carolina Ordinance of Nullification. The proclamation declared that the tariffs of 1828 and 1832, quote, are unauthorized by the Constitution of the United States and violate the true meaning and intent thereof and are null, void, and no law nor binding upon this state. I think it's important to touch on something real quick, and I could actually do an entire podcast episode on this. Calhoun had come up with this specific process of nullification, and he used the Kentucky and Virginia resolutions, which were written by Thomas Jefferson and James Madison as the foundation, but he actually had a, a nullification procedure, and he insisted that other states were obligated to recognize South Carolina's action unless the other states got together and passed a resolution uh, nullifying the nullification, uh, in essence. And this is constitutionally dubious, so I think it's important to understand that this Calhounian process of nullification isn't the same as Thomas Jefferson and James Madison's principles. The principles are broader. They create the foundation and the constitutional basis for nullification, but Jefferson and Madison never came up with the process. And in fact, Madison 
objected to South Carolina's actions in 1833, precisely because he said this process that Calhoun had come up with wasn't really valid. So that's important to understand. Uh, When we talk about nullification, generally, it's not the same thing as what Calhoun was talking about. Now, I'll find some uh, articles and link to those in the show notes page if you want to dig a little bit deeper into that. Regardless, President Jackson wasn't having any of it. He actually threatened to send in troops to collect the tariff. Uh, He issued the proclamation to the people of South Carolina. He condemned nullification. Uh, South Carolina refused to back down. In fact, the legislature in South Carolina responded with a resolution of its own declaring, quote, the state will repel force by force and relying on the blessings of God will maintain its liberty at all hazards. On March 2, 1833, Congress passed the Force Bill, which actually authorized President Jackson to send in troops to South Carolina to use force to collect this tariff. This is why they call it a crisis, because there was all of this saber-rattling. I mean, people honestly thought that South Carolina was going to go to war with the United States over this tariff. Ultimately, Kentucky Senator Henry Clay diffused the situation. He brokered a compromise that lowered the tariff over the next 10 years. For good measure, South Carolina passed an act nullifying the force bill. Now, this was largely symbolic at this point. The uh, tensions had been de-escalated. But nevertheless, they wanted to make a point that, by God, we can nullify. Um, So this leads us to the next myth that I often hear when people talk about the nullification crisis. They'll say, Mike, it didn't work. I mean, we almost had a war, and it didn't work. It's nullification is bad, and and it'll never work. Well, of course it worked. I mean, I guess it depends on how you define worked. But the political aim was to get tariff relief. And ultimately, South Carolina got tariff relief. Now, like a lot of things in politics, it didn't get completely what it wanted. I mean— The tariff didn't go away completely, but they certainly got some of the political aims that they were shooting for. Tom Woods summed it up pretty good in his book, Nullification. He said, South Carolina stared down the federal government and won for the South a program of tariff relief it might otherwise not have received. The compromise reached between the federal government and South Carolina demonstrates the value of nullification, not its fruitlessness. So absolutely, nullification works. And I think this is the key takeaway from this crisis. We cannot let the federal government just walk roughshod over us. At some point, you have to be willing to face them down. South Carolina was willing to go to war over this tariff. They faced down the behemoth, and they won in the nullification crisis of 1833. More power to the states. Well, that's it for this episode of Thoughts from Meharry Head. We're another 10 minutes closer to freedom. I really do appreciate you listening to this show. If you enjoyed it, do me a favor and spread the word about it. Share it on social media. Do all that stuff. Feel free to send me any thoughts or ideas to michael.meharry at 10th Uh You can subscribe to the podcast over on iTunes. And that is a wrap. Until next time, thanks again for listening.